0: Would you pray along with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth of the words we just sang. I will build my life upon your word, your rock, your foundation. And his name is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you by opening up your word, our hearts would say, good morning, Lord. Show me your glory. Lord, that we would spend the next few moments shoveling the sand out of the way that we might get to the rock that is Jesus Christ. For it is him we have come to praise. It is him we have come to exalt. And it is him, and in him alone, we have put our trust. And he is the word of God meet with us now. Speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Good morning. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles if you would, please. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we would love to put one in it. If you don't own a Bible or or you just need a new one, we'd love for you to keep the one we give you. Um, If you just want to look on with a neighbor, you can do that as well. But This thing that you hold in your hand is what we're going to talk about today, and in it, God is telling an amazing story. But he's doing, he's not just telling a story. He's revealing himself. This is not just a storybook. This is revealing who God is. But it's not less than a great story. And in the beginning, God, it's where he starts, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, he doesn't start explaining how he came to be because he has always been he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. There is nothing in our existence that we can connect that in our brains to. That, that all by itself, in the beginning, God just always was, ought to melt our brains because we can't get it. And the rest of the story that he tells is him revealing is the pieces of him that he can to us. So in the beginning, God created just because he could and because he wanted to. He didn't have to. He he didn't have to create you and me in this place, in this world. He did it because he wanted to. Because he wanted to demonstrate himself to his creation. But shortly after he creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in this garden, he has a relationship with them. Sometime during that time, some of his creation rebelled. It started with Lucifer, one of the archangels who fell, came to the earth and He's been spending the last 7,000 years trying to drag as many human beings as he can to hell with him. And unfortunately, he hands the fruit to Eve and to Adam, and they take a bite of it. And sin enters the world. But God's not done. And through a series of events, the, the sin spreads throughout the world, and so God says, you know what, I'm going to cleanse the world. And so he creates a flood And he saves Noah as this amazing picture of one way of salvation. There was one way to be saved from the flood, and that was through the ark. Just like there is only one way to be saved now, and that is through Jesus Christ. And after that happens, and the flood resides, and and Noah's family moves out, sin continues to reign. And God looks down, just in his sovereignty, around 4,000 years ago, and he looks at this guy named Abraham, and he says, That one's mine. And from you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has Joseph. And Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt so that God's people will go to Egypt and be slaves for 400 years. How would you like that to be your life calling? What was your role in God's story Well, I was a slave in Egypt for 400 years? Why? So that 70 little Hebrew people from Abraham could become 2 million people led out of the ex- in the Exodus by Moses. As a great picture of how he crosses us over from one side of slavery to the victory that is found in him alone. And then... Moses passes on the torch, the mantle, to Joseph, or to Joshua. And Joshua conquers the land, and they become this nation. And shortly thereafter, they want to be like every other nation in the world. And rather than let God reign in their lives, they say, we want a king like everybody else. So they raise up Saul, who's got some serious issues. And Saul gives way to David, who's a man after God's own heart, and writes much of what we see in this story in the Old Testament. But was not perfect. Like, just like the rest of fallen creation. And David has Solomon, and Solomon builds the temple, and in the temple, God's glory reigns. But God's people keep falling away. So he raises up these prophets, men like Isaiah and Daniel, men like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, men like Hosea, to tell the people, turn, repent, and believe. And in the end, he just goes silent for about 400 years. And then when Paul tells us, when the fullness of time came, God decided, it's time. Let's go. We talked about it last week up on the mountain, where he sends Gabriel to tell them it's time to reveal grace. So he sends Jesus Christ him in flesh down here and the word became flesh this word that he's been speaking at that point for 5,000 plus years the word becomes flesh and makes its dwelling among us and we hear about the life of Jesus in the gospels and then we hear most importantly about the death and propitiation of our sin the full appeasement of the of the wrath of God for that sin all the way back in the garden all of those sins are placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ and he says, it's finished. Annihilated. Done. Nothing else required. Because he came here. But he didn't just come here and die for our sin and rise again to show that he proved that the, the victory over death. He actually sent his spirit to live in us and not just individually in some sort of like personal Christian experience but corporately as the body of Christ. And the rest of this story is about the church of Jesus Christ, us, and about how we are to live in this dark world as a light to the nations. And then the very end of the story is about his second coming. And we sure look forward to that, don't we? Here's what's interesting about this book, guys. This book was written over a span—just the physical writing of this book, not the time it covers, but the span, like like just the actual physical writing of it, covers was written over 1,500 years, 40 generations of people, by 40 different men, living on three different continents, speaking three different languages. Do you know another book that's like that? Do you know another book that was authored by 40 people? Over 1500 years, speaking three different languages, living in 13 different countries on three different continents, and yet shares one message. Because how is that even possible? Like, seriously, how is that possible? It's not unless it wasn't the men's, it wasn't those 40 men who wrote it, unless it was the Spirit of the living God. But this book that you hold in your hand, hopefully you're still holding it in your hand, it presents one problem. That's the problem of sin. It professes one way of salvation. It teaches one way to live. It expresses one standard of morality. It promotes one model for the family. It proclaims one plan for the ages. There's no plan A. Oh, that didn't work out. Sorry. I'll send the kings, oh that didn't work out, sorry, I'll send the prophets, oh that didn't work out, finally I'll send Jesus. No, God has been calling his shots since before the foundation of the world. But guys, here's the thing, his, this, the theme of this book, and here's what's the most important, the theme of this book is God's love. The central focus of this book is Jesus Christ. The message of this book is redemption through the grace of God. And the call of this book on every human being's life is to repent and believe in the gospel. That has been true from the beginning. Old Testament to New Testament, the call of this book has been for us to repent and believe in the gospel. Guys, that's a book worth reading. That is a book worth reading. That is a book worth spending some time in. Why? 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 So that we can get a list of do's and don'ts and, and, and things that we should be doing better in the world? No. So that we can get to meet the God of the Word. I've heard many people quote him, but I believe the original quote was from Charles Spurgeon. He said, you cannot succeed apart from the Word of God, for the Word of God reveals the God of the Word. Guys, do you appreciate the power that we hold in our hands? We talked about this last week at Retreat. The glory stories. Like do you do we here? Here's the answer. The answer. When I ask the question, do I do you appreciate the power you hold in your hands? Everybody in here should say no. So I'm going to ask it. Do we appreciate the power we hold in our hands? No. We love it. We. we if, if we're doing okay, we might be hungering for it. But guys, I'm not sure it's even possible for us to fully... Guys, what is the power we hold in our hands? The power we hold in our hands is the power that spoke stars into existence. That's what Brian taught us on Saturday night last week. Isaiah 40. He spoke them out of existence. How did he create this? We're going to see it. He spoke it into existence. Exact same power. We do not appreciate that kind of power. In Hebrews, and I'm just going to turn there so I, can, so I don't butcher it, but in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews starts this letter. The, the unknown author of Hebrews says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers of the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, that's to us, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So Jesus made it all, and we've seen that many times here at Cornerstone. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. Because that's the, that is the power we hold and a, a couple chapters later in Hebrews 4 for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart and then it's interesting so, he's, so the writer of Hebrews is talking about the word and then in the very next verse he says and there is no creature hidden from his sight wait what? But writer or Hebrews, did you just have like some sort of like a, a brain freeze or something because you were just talking about the word and now the personal pronoun just went to his. Why? Because his is the word. He is the word of God. and that's what we're going to look at today. Guys, the bottom line in a world that we live in today that, that this this is and this has been true frankly only in the last 20 or 30 years the world we live in today has moved to a place that says there is no truth there's no truth there's no absolute truth in the world there's not even like solid truth in the world everything is relative there are in that world there are still two great truths there is a God in heaven and he has chosen to reveal himself to us he does that through his creation We saw that, and that's what we talked about on Saturday night to retreat. But but most clearly, he reveals himself to us right here. And that's a book worth reading. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's topic, if you haven't figured it out yet, is the Word of God. And today's question is what is the aim of your life? What are you aiming your life at? Again, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand because we're going to continue to be in it. But if what is the aim of your life? And we're going to look at that through a passage in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. So to find 2 Timothy, the easiest thing is to open up your Bible towards the end. The nice thing is that they put all the T's together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Right. So if you get to Hebrews, you've actually gone too far. Hebrews is kind of a big book. Go back to the left. The T's are all together. Thessalonians. Timothy, Titus is the next one. So we're going to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at our first point. Are you aiming at the world? And I'm going to start actually, the the passage we had as our daily reading in the toolkit and the reading responding actually starts in verse 10, but I'm going to pick it up actually to get context in verse 1. So here's Paul writing to Timothy, who was a man he was discipling, had been discipling for years. Paul is in prison. For the last time, he, these are the last, Second Timothy are the last words the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament, they, these are the last words he writes. So he writes them with great urgency. So when I read Second Timothy, man, I want to really press into what this is like. Out of, out of 30 plus years of following and suffering for Jesus Christ, Timothy, here is what I, here's what's the most important stuff. Man, I want to know what Paul thinks is most important, because he's far wiser than I am when it comes to the things of God. So here's what he says. But realize, or note this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding firm to a form of godliness. That that word actually means religion. Holding firm to a form of religion, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Does that sound familiar? Does that that list of things sound... I mean, you don't have to look very far. You can look at the news yesterday. Eleven people gunned down in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. And you can look and see. The the world is not getting better. The world is getting worse. And that shouldn't surprise us because Paul tells us this right here. Jesus tells us that over and over. But guys, here's here's what Paul is showing us. This is a world full of... Of self. All of those characteristics that he talks about here and that he talks about a little bit in chapter 4 is this world that is all about measuring success, measuring life by me, 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 my, my, my. Get mine. That's what this world has become about. Now guys, you might say to yourself, wait a second, I don't really see, because, this, because this one, one of the good things about, and I'm not a generational kind of person, but one of the good things about the millennial generation and the, who, the I generation, whoever they are, like the next group after them, that's different from my generation and the generation before me, is they're not nearly as materialistic. So they look at my generation or my parents' generation and they say, you guys were all about feeding yourselves with stuff. We don't want to be about that, so we want to help the hurting. We want to we want to we want to try to, to the the um the suffering, the poor, the needy, and there's and, and and there's good things about that, obviously, because the word tells us we are to care for those people. Care, pure and undefiled religion is this: take care of widows and orphans. That it's pretty clear, right? However, guys that generation that that feels like they think they're doing better because they're not as materialistic, they've just replaced the physical materialism with something far worse. It's the me. It's the myism. Not me, I need to have my physical need met. It's the me, I need to have my emotional need met. And anything that goes on in this world that doesn't meet my emotional need, that doesn't sound right to me, must not be true. That's the world that we're living in today. So Paul contrasts that world that he. I mean, this, this was written two thousand years ago. He's, he's pretty prophetic here, but it was in his, it was true in his life as well. He contrasts that with something different. Now, jump down to verse ten, and this is where our passage today started. It says, "Now you or but you." That word could be translated "now" or "but." But you, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecution, suffering. Such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. The What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why? Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He is the great deceiver and he is looking for those to devour. But here's what, here's what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, you, you see all this stuff going on in the world. Get your eyes off of it and look at me. He's, it's, it's like when you're talking to your child and they're, and they're very distracted and they're, they're kind of wigging out and you get down at their level and you get right in their face and you're like, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Now, what's interesting is he says, it's going to be okay, but he lists all of these, he's like, you know my, he's like, you've seen my life. You've seen my teaching. You've seen my purpose, my aim in life. That's what that word purpose means. My whole aim in life, Timothy, you've seen it. And then he lists all these bad things. My persecutions, my struggles, my, why? Guys, because, because we as Christians do not measure whether we're living the right way by the circumstances of our life. All who are in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Will be. If you're sitting here today and you're a Christian and you never undergo persecution, how bright is your light? If you're sitting here today and you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about because I've been a Christian my whole life and all I've had is good, I would read this passage and many of the statements Jesus makes and say, "Uh uh-oh. Look out. Now, I'm not here to judge anybody's heart. I'm here to just say, I'm here to preach the word. We will undergo persecution, but we don't measure success by circumstance. Guys, if we measured success by circumstance, how do we explain Jesus on a cross? How do we know we're going to be persecuted? Because they killed him. And he said, they will hate you for following me. I wonder, especially in our country, have we become too prosperous, too powerful, too self reliant to need God anymore? It's part of why there's this famine for the word that even in the church today, there's sort of this, yeah, I don't really need the word, is because we have become so self powerful. But here's the problem. All of that stuff is just temporal, just for net life now. And this book is telling a story that goes on forever and ever and ever. And Paul's talking about, Timothy, invest in eternity, not in today. So the question is, are you aiming at the world? What is your measuring stick? My second point that I see Paul make here is, are you aiming at him? He's saying, Paul's saying, Tim- Timothy, it's not about comfort. This world is not about comfort. This is not about a short-term view of my best life now. This is, God always has a long view of life. Why? Because in the beginning, God. And in the end, God. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, the one that was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And for him, he's going to have a long view of life. So look at verses 14 and 15. He says, You, however, continue in these things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, he, once again, it's like he's encouraging me, saying, guys, you, I put, Timothy, I get that you see my life of struggle. I get that you see a world gone sideways. But, he's, but then he's like, but remember. Remember what you have been taught from the beginning. And I love how he says, you have known the sacred writings. Let me ask you a question. What writings is he talking about? What? The Old Testament. The Old, how do I know it's the Old Testament? Because the New Testament wasn't written yet. So what is, what is Paul telling Timothy? He's saying, you know what the Old Testament says. And it, it gives you wisdom that leads to salvation. And Paul is the one that wrote that there is salvation in no one else. So what is he saying? He's saying, Timothy, you read this whole scripture, Old Testament too, because in it you'll find Jesus. Just remember that. He's saying, don't forget that. I love how, and I think the ESV translates, when, when Timothy lists all of the things that have gone wrong with him in verses um, like 11, he's, he, they, they put the, the pronoun my in front of those words. Right? You've known my, well, my teaching, my conduct, my faith, my patience, my perseverance, my persecution, my suffering. He's basically saying, guys, he, he's saying to us today and to Timothy then, guys, just look at my life. My life is the example of what a Christian life is supposed to look like. And from an earthly perspective, that may not seem comfortable. That may not seem popular. But it's a, it's a life centered on, he says here, the sacred writings that give wisdom that lead to salvation. There is power in the word of God. It is, the, it is, it is Romans 10:17, And fa- Paul writes this. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And it actually means the word about Jesus. That's where the power is. It's a great picture, this whole, this whole scene is a great picture of things like multi-generational faithfulness, why we have the kids in the service with us. Because he's saying, these things that you've seen in me, Timothy, my beloved son, he calls Timothy. Do those things, and pass those things on. This is our desire for the toolkit series we're in. It's, our desire is to not just be in the Word of God every day, which you hear that so box, and you can all take a breath because I'm not getting on it today about reading and responding every day, but part of the, what we really want is for us to be better equipped in the Word of God so that we can help other be, people be equipped in the Word of God. Why? Because the Word gives wisdom that leads to salvation. That is the only way. Guys, reading a book about Jesus is not a bad thing. I'm reading lots of them right now because I'm in school. Reading other books about Jesus and about the church and about faith is not a bad thing. But do not. do Everybody look at me. Do not read the purpose-driven life 30 times, and I'm not bagging on the purpose-driven life. I did not mind that book. I know that was not a popular thing way back when, but I mean it was popular, but not among some circles in the church. I'm not talking about whether that book was good or bad. My struggle with it was I would talk to people about it and they would say, I've read the I say, Well, how's your time in the word? And they'd say, Well, I'm I'm reading the purpose-driven life for the 30th time. See, that's, those things are not the same. Your time in the Word and your time in some other book about the Word are not the same thing at all. And we're going to see why in just a minute. We are never closer to Jesus Christ than when we are in His Word. That's the bottom line. Because we are never, Jesus is never nearer to us than when our nose is in this book. But here's the problem. And I'm going to illustrate it here in a minute. So, um... Trying to think, who here could I grab who's not wearing a dress? Eric, why don't you come up since you're not wearing a dress? At least least I'm faithful. You're you're not wearing a dress, are you, Eric? This might not work out for you, but okay. So here's here's the problem with what we're aiming at, even aiming at him. So I have a stool up here. Go ahead and sit down. And and just a a quick sort of example of, of here's why. Here's part of why it's so hard to keep our aim in the right place. So what ha- what's happened for, from, from the beginning, so hold that up so people can see what it says. It says truth if you can't tell. So, what, hear, so what, we have, what, what the world has believed for many years, I know not everybody in the world, but a large chunk of the world has believed, certainly the church did, that the, that the Bible is the truth of God. Right, And it was, in the beginning, there there is a God, and he did create, and he did define marriage, and he did make gender, and he did all these things, and those things are unchangeable and irrevocable, and Jesus Christ is the only way. But here's the problem, from the beginning, so, and and this, so sit on there all the way. So the thing is, like, I can't, oh my goodness, really, oh, I'm just kidding, right? It, It was unmovable. But here's what happened. So I'll hop up real quick and help me out. The enemy. Satan. From. If you don't die, it'll be good, Eric. Okay. If, you, if, you, if you do die, that'll be even better because you'll go see Jesus. Um, it's what, hey, it's in the Bible. Look it up. Right? For me to love is Christ. To die is even better. Okay, so. Guys, here's the problem. The enemy from the beginning has put wheels on the chair of God's Word. If God's Word is like this chair, anchored, it doesn't move. The problem is the enemy has said things like, from the beginning, right? Did God really say that you weren't supposed to eat that fruit? Right? And, and and now all of a sudden it's like, wait, it, it, we were over here, but but me, you know, that sounds kind of right to me, so you sure I'll take that fruit. Did Did the, did the Word really say that marriage is between one man and one woman, right? that, 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 yeah, that was just culturally for them. That's not for now. I'm, this is the church talking, sadly. Right? And all of a sudden, what was once so clear and so like it's immovable, the enemy has little by little just allowed it to move. Thank you, Eric, you can pop down. So it has allowed it to move in so many subtle ways that's what makes it so hard to keep our aim right even being in the Word, we hear things like well I'll take this piece of it and that piece of it but I don't need to deal with this piece of it or that piece of it because I just don't I don't really think that's relevant today guys when we say that when we make a statement about God's word like some part of it is not relevant today what are we saying? God made a mistake that somehow, in eternity past, he did not see 2018 and the culture of the world and go, man, you know, I probably shouldn't put that stuff in the book because they're not going to get it and it's going to really drive them away from me. Wait, what? Because that isn't just a, a, a thing about which part of this do I take and which part don't I. That is a, that is a statement about what we believe about God. Okay, so the question today is, what is the aim of your life? Like, what are you aiming your life at? Are you aiming it at the world and what it believes? Are you aiming it at him and what he really says? And the last part leads to, is your aim true? Because we hear questions like, but is the Bible really reliable? Can we really trust it? Hasn't it been changed over time? And well, we talked about that a little bit in the tough questions series, so I'm not going to go back over that. It's in your toolkit. There's a handout in your bulletin that goes through a lot of that about why. If, if guys, here's the bottom. Just, just practically, if we can't trust this book, just, just physically trust that it's the truth of what was originally written, then we can trust no book in history. No historical book has the kind of backing that this book has. That is not a religious statement. That is a practical I don't know what you'd call it, like a person that, that studies old literature. That, that's just, that just is the truth. And there's stuff that in the toolkit and in your bulletin that will help you understand that. But look at, look at the important part for us as believers, and I'm going to begin to wrap up my time with this. Verses 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be adequate... Equipped for every good work. that word, that phrase there, inspired by God, we can, we can just fly over that. It actually is from a Greek word that means breathed out. It's, it's a combination of two words that are, that, that are God and breath. And that word breath is often translated Holy Spirit. So, you could almost literally translate that all scripture is inspired by God. You could say all scripture is God breathed by the Spirit of the living God. Who is God? He's not just some freaky part of God. The Spirit is God, just like Jesus is God. So, Timothy is saying, now again, when Timothy says all scripture, what scripture is he talking about at this point? The Old Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God. In fact, Paul doubles down on the point, or I'm sorry, Peter doubles down on the point in Second Peter chapter one, Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. Peter says this, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that's the Old Testament, is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy is ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Literally translated, that could mean men wrote what God spoke. That's what Paul means when he says all scripture is inspired by God. He doesn't mean inspirational, like it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Because guys, there's stuff in here that does not make me feel warm and fuzzy. I'm reading through the Bible in a year and, and through, during my reading plan, I'm in Jeremiah, and I'll be honest, I'm like, Lord, can I just get out of Jeremiah pretty soon? Because it's a downer. Like, there's not a whole lot of good stuff. So that's why he's called the weeping prophet. There's a lot to cry about there but it's inspired and there is stuff in there I need to hear and I love what he says he says it's profitable for what? for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness teaching just simply means discipling right? that's that's the picture of that's the picture Paul's trying to that the word of God is what we should be using to disciple people again, book studies are not bad I've led book studies We do book studies in this church. A group of men get together and we talk about a book together. But we always focus some of that time on the Word of God, specifically on a passage in the Word of God, because it is the power. Reproof. Reproof is, ouch. Conviction would be the word we would use as New Testament, you know, as believers. It is useful for conviction. It will point out what is wrong in our lives. What does Paul tell us about the Old Testament in Galatians? that the Old Testament is our tutor to lead us to Christ. That all the stuff that's in here, including the Old Testament, is so important because when we hold it up as a mirror of, God's, of, of the beauty that is Jesus Christ, it shows my blemishes that he's working on. That's why it's so useful for correction, that's like, think of it like course corrections. That's sort of like, like when, you're, when you're a little off course and he sort of moves you a little bit to kind of get you back on course. And then for training, think of that like, it's like parenting. Parenting. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at those four words, teaching, reproof, correction, and training, and put the word me after that. So as I read it, in the second half of verse 16, I say, All scripture is inspired by God for, and profitable for teaching, me. So, so here we go. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproving, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Not it, guys. Because we can look at this and we can go, man, those people out there really need to hear this message. Like, those people out there really need to get into the Word of God. And they need to believe that it's true and they need to believe that it's inspired and they need to get their act together. Because this, this is personal. If, it's, if we're not doing it, we shouldn't be expecting other people to do it either. So it's not those people, but it's us people. But guys, he tells them, he, he, he says, hard times are coming. Hard times are coming, and you're going to feel inadequate. Right? Jesus says the same thing. It was the invocation passage. There are two men described in the passage that Jesus, he says, he says, let me tell you what the man is like who hears my word and acts on it. Rock. Let me tell you about the man who hears my word and does not act. Sand. Rock, storm comes. Solid foundation. Sand, same storm, destroyed. Hard times are coming. Because we don't get into the word to save us from persecution or to save us from hard times. We get into the word so we can drill down into the rock and be anchored. I put it this way being in God's Word will not inoculate us from trials. Being in God's Word will not guys, do not think that somehow, if I you know what if I Pastor Doug keeps telling me to be in the Word every day, and I'm going to be in the Word every day, so that my life will be blessed. It will be. It may not look like you thought, but it will be. But we get into the Word every day. Because it is the lifeboat when the storms come, and the storms come. The storms always come. But we we'll are also get into the Word every day because it should be our joy. Guys, back to where I started, and I'm wrapping it up with this. Back to where I started. If we really believe the power that this is, that this is the same one who spoke stars into existence, Jesus Christ, the same one who holds all of it together, including you and my life, if we really believed that, we would open this word up every morning going, Lord, good morning. I can't wait to see your face. Show me your glory. Kaboom! We would. Right? So I'm praying that we would be a people that would believe these two truths. There is a God, and he has chosen to reveal himself. Most importantly, through his word. And as we get ready to take a minute, in the back of your connecting points, there's a spot where you can respond to what he's saying to you. And we're going to take a few minutes and respond to his will and song and, and communion. I would ask you to i would ask you to consider something. And, and if you've not been listening, because you're like, oh, here's another message about the word of God. He, I, I want to, you know, and, and I've done all the research and I know about all the supposed problems with it and, and whatever else. One, well, I'd ask you to come talk to me about it because that was me for 25 years. But the second thing I would say is, I want to ask you just a couple of questions, and the music team, just hang with me. You can start playing if you want, but just don't start singing. Um, I want you you to think about something, because here's what I hear a lot, and here's what I used to say all the time as a 23-year-old, just completely arrogant. Now I'm just arrogant, not completely arrogant. Yeah, but. Yeah, but that works for you. Yeah, but you know what the Bible that, that works for you. That's okay. I, I totally get that. I'm not telling you not to believe the Bible. I just know that works for you. But it's not my thing. Okay, so so, so let's back up and stuff from even everything else I've said. I, I just want to ask a simple question. If not this, then what? If not this, then what? What are you aiming at? What are you going to use your life? What are you going to use to define what, what you want your marriage to be? What are you going to use to, to guide your family and shepherd your kids? Because even if you don't right now believe this is the God-breathed word, where else are you going to look? Satan has put wheels on every chair out there, to the point that the only chair left is the chair that speaks to me. And guys, so here's what we hear. And this is what I'm going to ask you. If this, is, if this is you, I would beg you not to leave here today without talking to me or to somebody else. Because w- what are you aiming your life at? What is your North Star? If you have no fixed point of reference outside of yourself except for yourself, do you not see how, how dangerous that is? Because we say things like, you know what, everybody has the freedom to to believe their own truth. We said, have, you, have you heard that before? Right? We need to give people the space to just believe what they want to believe. We don't believe that. And I don't just mean the church. I mean nobody believes that. How do I know? Because a man named Hitler exterminated six million Jews because he believed he was doing the right thing. And the world rose up and stopped him. Praise God see, that's an obvious one. I'm not killing six million Jews. Okay, how about just something as simple as you're standing? I'm just, let's just let's just drill it down to something completely myopic and not. And, and you're standing in line at the grocery store. You've been standing in line for a long time, and somebody just cuts in front of you because you know what? They believe that they have the right to be first. They don't care. Would you? take that well. Well, ask yourself how you felt the last time someone cut you off on the road. Someone runs a stop sign and kills your wife and kids because they believe that those rules don't apply to them. Do you see where I'm going? Now, those are trivial things. Those are myopic, little, tiny... I get that, but that's why the word myopic has my in it, I think, because that, that's where we live with God. I want to believe about God what I want to believe. Or I want the freedom to believe that there is no God. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? If not the Bible, so I finish with this, so I really do finish. If not the Bible, then what? Then what? If not God, if you're not going to set your life on the anchor that is God, then who? Yourself? Guys, don't live like that. That is such a scary way to live. And I'm crying because I remember what it felt like. That every little thing in my life that was going wrong or could go wrong or, or I might think about that might go wrong because I had no confidence in a sovereign God who loved me and gave himself for me f- totally terrified me. So, if not the Bible, what? If not God, who? And if not now, when? What will it take? Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are absolute truth. You, in the beginning, God. And you could have just stopped there, but you chose not to. You could have just said, in the beginning, me. And I don't need anything. I am self-existent. I am all-encompassing. I am in need of nothing. And yet, because you just wanted to display your grace, you created us. And we have spent the rest of creation's existence trying to deny yours. In our own lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our nation. Oh God, I, I, I repent of that in areas of my own life. That every time I get my eyes, my aim becomes off target, willingly, it's because I'm telling you, you've made a mistake. And so Lord, I I repent of that. We as a people repent of that. We as a people come to you and say, help us, oh Lord. Help us to be a people who first and foremost say, what does God's word say about that? When we go to vote next week, what does God's word say about that? When we get ready to just look a brother or sister in the face in a few minutes, ask them the question, so what is God saying about that? Because here's what we know you said. You are the way. You are the truth, and you are the life, and no one comes to you. But through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen.